I want to turn your attention today to verse 21. Verse 21. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. As with many of you, in the past week we watched the proceedings of the Queen's funeral. And in the midst of all the pomp and pageantry that, that was formed part of the funeral on Monday past, I think one of the most poignant moments happened at the end of the committal service uh, at uh, St. George's Chapel in Windsor's Castle when the crown and when the orb and when the scepter were ceremoniously removed from the coffin. That imperial state crown uh, the Queen wore when she left Westminster Abbey after her coronation. I was looking it up. It's made of gold. It has 2,868 diamonds in it. It has 17 sapphires, 11 emeralds, and 269 pearls, and 4 rubies. And it weighs about 2 kilos, so it is actually quite heavy. It has existed in various forms uh, from the 15th century. Up to a few years ago, the Queen wore it at every state opening of Parliament when she made the speech, the opening speech of Parliament on behalf of the government. And if you want to go and see it, it's kept in display in the Tower of London. I was also interested to read about the, the scepter that she carried. So when she was uh, at her coronation, she wore the crown, but she also carried the scepter and the orb. Now, the scepter has a cross on the top of it. And it was taken from the reign of that king that we looked at the day, King Charles II in 1661. And it was meant to represent the crown's power and governance. And it contains the largest cut colourless diamond in the world with an amazing 530 carats. And likewise the orb, it dates back to 1661. It is gold. And on the top of it, it has a cross. And the symbolism of, of it is very striking. That all worldly power that is given to monarchs comes from God. It comes from God. And when it came to the end of the service and the coffin was about to be lowered down into the vault underneath uh, the, the chapel building. What happened? Ceremoniously, the crown was removed, the orb was removed, and the globe was removed. And it's held over for someone else to take use of it. And it just struck me as never before. All of that power, pomp, and pageantry that was associated with the Queen... For 96 years, she left it all behind. She took nothing with her whatsoever. And that's exactly what we read that Job said in Job 1 and verse 21. Paul took that up in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 7. <clears throat> and he said something similar. 1 Timothy 6 and 7. <clears throat> he said, as certain... We brought nothing into this world and it's certain we carry nothing out. These dramatic moments happened in the life of Job when he 
had suffered today like none other in the history of his life or any other man. In verse 14, 15, we read that his oxes and asses had been stolen by the Sabaeans and all his servants slain. In verse 16, another servant came with more bad news and to tell him that the flocks of sheep and those who looked after them had been destroyed with strange fire from heaven, which some of the commentators think was lightning. And the bad news just kept coming because another servant came to tell him in verse 17 that his herds of camels had been stolen by the Chaldeans and those servants who looked after them had all been slain. And that's no trivial loss because we read in Job 1 verse 3 that Job had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses. He was the greatest man of all the East. The richest man of all the East. And he lost everything in a matter of a few hours. Later on in the book of Job, he, he, he tells us that he was like a man dwelling like a king. And Job, like a king, he lost everything just in a few hours. But worse was to follow. The bad news did not just stop there because in verse 18, 19, we read that there was a great whirlwind came. And that whirlwind uh, destroyed the house in which all of his children had, had been feasting and partying. And he lost all ten of them. And one accident. And he was left alone to grieve and mourn their passing. And I marvel at the grace that was given to Job when death and devastation struck his family. He bowed lowly before God. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We all have to face death. We all have to face loss. And we learn from Job how to face death and how to cope with loss. And there are lessons here, men and women, that we all need to learn sooner or later and apply it to our hearts. So what are those lessons? Well, firstly, we're taught humility as we face up to death. Death, of course, came with profound sadness upon Job. He didn't treat it in a trivial way. superficial manner far from it in order to show us sorrow of heart and brokenness of heart verse 20 tells us he tore his outer garment he shaved his head he fell on the ground he worshipped life could not go on as normal everything stops for death over recent years we've witnessed right across our land what some have called the jollification of funerals No longer are funerals somber, sober occasions, but rather they're called celebrations and they're celebrations of this one's life or the other one's life. And people are asked to dress up in in, in bright clothing and colours and and if the the departed one supported the football team, they're asked to come in the the colours of that football team and, and so on and so forth. And what's happening, men and women? Well, I'll tell you what's happening. The awful reality of death is being airbrushed and glossed over. People do not want to face it in the manner that it ought to be faced. I was very glad that the royal family 
set a very different tone over recent weeks. As a family, they set a very high standard for their dress, for their personal decorum, and for their sheer dignity throughout the week preceding the funeral and the funeral. In my opinion, they were flawless and faultless. See, death changes everything. Even what we wear. Our very deportment. Death humbles us. Why? Because it brings us to the dust. The opening verses of Job chapter 1 tell us a great deal about this man. He came from Uz, which was east of Jordan. He was one of the earliest patriarchs. Uh, Bible commentators tell us he was a contemporary with Abraham even before him. His testimony was astounding. Thousands of years later we read about him in the book of Ezekiel chapter 14, 14. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel and Job were in it. They should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. The context there is Israel had so corrupted itself, had gone so far from the Lord. Even if Job was alive, Job couldn't do anything for it. You know, I don't think people will be talking about me after I die, apart from my family. A few years, of less than a few years, Ian Harris will be forgotten about. But Job wasn't forgotten about. It tells us he was perfect. It doesn't mean that he was sinless, but it means he was very sincere. It tells us he was upright. Uh, we love that phrase, he's an upright character. Now, if you're upright, what is it? Well, you're straight. I, I love someone who's straight in their dealings with you. They tell you as it is. They tell you what they're thinking. They're not trying to hide or conceal something from you. That's the right type of a, of a man or woman to do business with. with. Job was a straight man. He feared God. That's the mark of a true child of God. One that is in submission to God. Many today fear man. But if we fear God, we need never fear man. And likewise, it tells us he eschewed evil. That is, he shunned evil. He, he put it to the side. He ran away from it. And in shunning evil, he positively sought to obey the commandments of God. And in facing up to the sudden dramatic tragedy that had befallen his family, he likewise conducted himself with the utmost decorum and dignity. His heart was broken. He rent his outer garments. He shaved his head. It was not just another ordinary day. Death is not an ordinary day. Personally, he was under great pressure. Satan came to him. Do you know what Satan came to Job to do? To put blasphemous thoughts in his mind. You, you would wonder, can Satan put blasphemous thoughts in the mind of a Christian? He can, and he does. Satan wants you to blaspheme God. Satan wants you to curse God. Oh, let us not allow pride to delude us. We come from dust, and to dust we will return. In Genesis 2, 7, we read that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Isn't that a humbling thing? You may carry, as the lords and gentry did of years gone, buy that pineapple. You may be able to spend thousands in buying it, but you're dust. And one day you'll go back to dust. 
God told Adam when he sinned and fell in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat thy bread till thou return to the ground for out of it thou wast taken for dust thou art and unto dust thou shalt return he was dust Job knew death brought him into the dust Job knew that death would put him into the ground one day and where his body would dissolve and go into dust but Job lived in the hope of the resurrection of the body from the dust there was hope in the book of Job Uh, we go to Job 19 verse 25 Job was able to say facing death facing the dust facing the grave he was able to say I know that my redeemer liveth And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body. Yet in my flesh I shall see God. He was dust going to dust. He realized there was more to life than just the cycle of life and death. He realized that there was a redeemer who could save him from his sin. Who could raise him from the grave and take him to glory. And there's only one redeemer, men and women. And the only redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other redeemer. And he came to seek and to save those that were lost. He did go to the cross to bear away our sin. He did go to the cross to die for our guilt and for our shame. And if you ever think more of yourself than you ought to, just go to the cross and look what Jesus had to do. Because we could do nothing. Jesus had to do it all. That's why we sang those words in Psalm 62 to start off words today. Trust in him at all times ye people. Pour out your heart before him. And that's what God wants you to do today. We're We're just dust. But we can pour out our heart to God. And God is a refuge for us. And I urge you today, if you know not Jesus as your saviour, pour out your heart to him. Tell him that you are the sinner. Tell him that you do need him. Call upon him for salvation and you'll find in him today a refuge, an eternal refuge for your soul. Secondly, we're taught from Job's morning about the reality of death. Naked, he said in verse 21, came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. Paul took it up. As we said, First Timothy 6 and 7. He said, for we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we carry nothing out. Oh, if only we could get that through to the hearts and minds of everyone that's even in this meeting here today. No matter how hard you work, no matter how much money you earn, no matter how long you live, you'll not take one penny of it with you. Nothing. You'll leave it all behind. This theme is taken up constantly in the poetical books. In Ecclesiastes 12, 6 to 8, let me just read you out those words. <clears throat> it talks about the silver cord being loosed and the golden bro- bowl being broken or the pitcher being broken at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. That's death. That's the heart stopping. Just like that. One day it will stop. Just like that. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. And the spirit return unto God who gave it. 
When that cord is broken, when that heart stops beating, what happens? The spirit returns to God, the soul returns to God, and the body is put in the dust. They made special mention right throughout the week of the Queen's coffin being lined with lead. And of course that's to slow down the process of decomposition. But it can't stop it. It can't stop it. What a solemn thought. We leave it all behind. All the grandeur that the Queen had, the royalty, all the power of monarchy. It meant nothing at the portals of death. That's why I believe the Queen chose one of Charles Wesley's hymns in that committal service. It's amazing, really, to follow it through. One of the verses goes like this. Change from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love and praise. The Queen had to leave her stately crowns. But I do believe she had sent on spiritual jewels. On ahead. Our spiritual works go on ahead of us. Years ago, I was minister in Carrick Fergus, and every other year we had a visit from Mr. Ken Johnson. Maybe some of you have heard him over the years. He was the chairman of the New Tribes Mission from 1960 to 1987, and chairman emeritus. Uh, until his home call in 2001 and he regularly came to our meetings in Carrick and we enjoyed his fellowship and he would have come out to our home and would have had uh, supper with us and I, I remember him coming after his wife had passed away and he spoke in the words of Psalm 90 and he described the passage of time and all that goes with the passage of time and how his wife had been taken from him and after the funeral he went back to the house and he saw all her clothes that she had worn with such dignity. He saw her jewellery that she had taken such pleasure in. He saw all the artifacts that she gathered up around the house. And that she loved and had, had you know, taken such a proper pride in. But she left it all behind. And the only thing that she would sent on ahead was her spiritual works. How she'd worked for the Lord in her home, in her church, in her community, on the mission field. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, Matthew 6, 20. We'll come to them very shortly. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We can't take anything from here with us. Crowns and jewels are left behind. The only thing we take with us is what we've sent on before. Our spiritual labours for the Lord in heaven and in eternity to come. Matthew Henry helps us to understand what Christ meant by those treasures in heaven. And this is what he said. If we have prayed and fasted and given alms and truth and uprightness with an eye to God and his acceptance. And have proved ourselves to him therein we have laid up treasure in heaven. Acceptance with God is treasure in heaven. Tell me today, are you accepted before God? Because that's treasure in heaven. One day death will strip us of all our enjoyments, all, all 
everything that we've known of this side of eternity, we, we will be taken from it. We came in naked, we will go out naked. We came in with nothing, we will go out with nothing. Do not think you'll take it with you. That was what the great pharaohs, the great chieftains of years gone by thought. And that's why they were buried with their treasures. Only for their graves to be plundered. Their, their, their tombs to be robbed by, by later generations. All the money was there with them. They didn't take it with them. And you'll not take it either. The only treasure you have is what you've sent on before. What's your bank balance in heaven like? What have you sent on before? Dear Christian, what have you sent on before? <clears throat> you can go home and look up your app and see what you have in your bank balance at home. But what have you got in heaven? Laying up treasures. Thirdly, we're taught here to acknowledge the sovereignty of God in death. Don't put it like this. The Lord gave. That was his children. Ten children. And the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. As we read through the book of, of uh, Proverbs. We know in these opening chapters. The devil is a dominant character. Chapter 1, chapter 2. He's dominant. But then he disappears off the, off the scene completely. Why? Because he's a, sub, a subservient character. He's not the dominant character. Who's the dominant character? God. God rules. God rules, not the devil. God rules. It was a sovereign God who took away Job's children, not the devil. That's a solemn, solemn truth. Dr. Derek Thomas, a very lovely commentary on the book of Job. And I encourage you to get it. And this is what he said, ultimately God is responsible for Job's suffering, not Satan. Yes, God can even use Satan. But God is over Satan. And Job was clear in his understanding on this subject, this mysterious subject of suffering. In chapter 2, his wife came to him, she was still alive, and she said to him, curse, curse God and die. It's an awful thing when someone so close to you as your wife would be used of the devil to put blasphemous thoughts in your mind and to suggest to you, just curse the Almighty and die. And he said unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? In all this Job did not sin with his lips. Heard a professor recently telling of his experience as a young professor in college, <clears throat> and he had given uh, his students uh, a, a particular paper to write, and he had given them a deadline in which they had to bring in the paper. And he told them, "If you bring it in later, you're going to get an F." There were some 250 students. This was the law. If you don't bring it in, you get an F. <clears throat> a fail. On that day, something like 200 of the students brought in their paper completed. 
and the rest didn't. Oh, he said, Professor, <coughs> we're just new in this college and with so much to comprehend and all put in. Uh, can you not give us an extension and we'll get it into you? And so he, he gave them an extension of another two weeks. And they were so pleased to get an extension of another two weeks. Another two weeks came. Of those students who had got the extension, none of them had made the paper and brought it in. And they had another story. It was so bad. Their time was so squeezed. And <clears throat> this professor gave them a further extension. But he said, that's the final extension. And they started to sing about him in, in the class. And they praised him. And oh, he was, he was just great. The final deadline came. And the papers, as you know, were not brought in. And those who did not bring their papers in, they got a, a fail, a fail, a fail, a fail, a fail, a fail. Regardless of the excuses that they, they tried to cover up for not bringing the papers in. It was fail, fail, fail. And they started to complain to the professor. They started to complain. Oh, why, why are you failing us? Can you not give us another extension? You see, they had received good. And they didn't accept the good when it was given. And now when the law was executed, they started to blame themselves for not. They started to blame the lawgiver for what they were only blamable for themselves. How like mankind that really is. Shall we not receive good? Yes, so we're, we're, we all like the good. We all like the extensions. But do we not also then have to acknowledge the judgment that goes with it. Job acknowledged the sovereign hand of God in his mercies, in his comforts. He received good, but he also acknowledged the sovereign hand of God in his crosses. God had taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Finally, we learn in adversity to give thanks. Because we read here, in all of this, Job sent not nor charged God foolishly and said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Satan wanted Job to curse God. That's what we read in chapter 1, verse 11. Oh, what vile thoughts he put into his mind to insinuate all types of, of, of vileness. But as we come to the end of chapter 1, he's lost everything. He's still blessing God. He's still praising God. And facing material loss, even with his face in the dust, carrying the heavy burden of losing eight of his or losing ten of his family in one day, assailed by his wife, and facing adversity, he gave thanks. My brethren and sisters, before you get to heaven, you'll experience material loss. You'll experience personal loss. You'll experience the malice of sin and Satan. And he will put all types of blasphemous thoughts in your mind. But here's how we learn 
from Job to face adversity, that God be praised even in facing death. We read, we sang McShane's words, For when from life's fever my God sets me free, Jehovah Sikenye, my death song shall be. If you were to face death today, what, what would you sing? Let me ask you that before you leave. We're, we're, we're over just in a few minutes. If you're to face death today, what would you be singing? If you die without Christ, there would be no praise. <clears throat> there will only be wailing and crying and lamentation. You don't believe that? Well, read Revelation chapter 18. We have the picture there of Babylon being destroyed. Worldly Babylon. The, the greatest power symbolized there in chapter 18. And we read, when Babylon's destroyed, the merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand far off for the fear of her torment, torment, weeping and wailing. And cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what city is like unto this great city? In one hour she's made desolate. On that day if you die without Christ, there will be no praise. You'll go out into hell weeping and wailing. And it will not stop for all eternity. What do you need to do today? You need to weep over your sin. You need to seek God for mercy. You need to flee to the cross by faith. <clears throat> See there the one, the great redeemer. Who bore your shame. And then on that final day. You can face death. <clears throat> you can face adversity. The Holy Spirit invites you today. To come to Jesus Christ. It's his invitation. I, I put it to you again. How will you face death and judgment without him? Come today quickly to him. And be saved. Let's unite our hearts, please, in prayer. We've overshot our time just a little. So we're going to close in prayer. <clears throat> but let me say, if there's one in the service, perhaps the Lord has spoken to your heart and life. If I can be of any help to you, don't be afraid just to say that as you leave the building today. I'll be glad to wait behind with you.